0: If you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 6. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 6. We are finishing up the book of 1 Timothy this week as we continue with the pastoral epistles. On Sunday, we'll be getting the book of Titus, and then after the book of Titus, we'll be concluding with the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, The purpose of doing it in that order is that 1 Timothy and Titus are are books dealt with in between Paul's imprisonment. He was put in prison, and the book of Acts finishes with that first imprisonment. He was released after seeing Nero and he is loose for a little while, and he's trying to get as much done as possible in the freedom that he has, knowing that persecution is just around the corner. And in the book of Second Timothy... Paul is in jail and he knows he's not getting out. He knows that in a very short amount of time that he'll be taking a shortcut to glory. He'll be beheaded for the cause of Christ. And so that's why we're hitting the book of 2 Timothy last because it's last chronologically. But now we find our way finishing up the book of 1 Timothy. Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy, and chapter number 6. We find our way in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, starting at verse number 6. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse number 6, the word of God says this, "...but godliness with contentment is great gain." For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith, (coughs) let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich... Fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and notice with me in verse number 6, notice the phrase, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And with this, we're going to see the idea here that who is your goal? Is God your goal or is riches your goal? Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you and open up your precious word, we're asking that this would be very clear. This is something that affects every single one of us. This is something that hits us where we live on a day-to-day basis. And we're asking that we would make sure that we have the right goal, that we can identify what the right goal is, that we can understand the truth about finances, the truth about what you have given to us. Help us, Lord, to be keeping our eyes on you and be satisfied knowing that you know what is best for us. You are a great God. And again, because this is a spiritual work, I'm asking that I set myself aside, that I would not be a hindrance, I wouldn't be in the way, but it would be just you getting your word accomplished, just using me as a vessel, so the best I know how I surrender myself to you. I give you my thoughts, my goals, my ambitions, my desires, what I think needs to be accomplished. You take all of that. And that it just be purely what you want done to work in people's lives this afternoon. And in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. What a powerful phrase. Godliness with contentment is Great game. Well, we need to start off somewhere, so if you don't mind, I'd like to start off with this the truth about riches. The truth about riches. Notice, if you don't mind, in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, and notice with me in verse number 7. The truth about riches. You want to know the truth about riches? Notice this For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. The truth about riches is that we don't own anything. God owns it all. It's all His. He created the world. He created everything. (laughs) The Bible talks about that He owns the cattle of a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. The Bible talks about that He owns all the wealth. It talks about that He owns all the souls. Every creature is his. The Bible goes and gives portico language in the book of Psalms that said, hey, guess what? If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you because I could provide for myself. God says, if I ever needed anything, I wouldn't tell you because I could provide for myself. I own it all. You know that God doesn't need anything because he owns it all. It's all his. We are borrowing his It's even funny to hear scientists sometimes that they have announced that they've learned how to create themselves. And they said, we'll prove it to God. God, we will create something out of of these materials. And God says, wait, 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 get your own dirt. Because he owns everything. Those people who hate God said, I don't need anything from God. Well, stop breathing his oxygen. Stop breathing his air. He owns everything. So you want to know what you had when you were born? Nothing, nothing. When you came out, you did not come out with a credit card. When you came out, there wasn't a wallet attached to you. When you came out, there wasn't a bag of gold coins. When you came out, you had nothing. You didn't even have clothes on when you were born. You had nothing. And guess what? When you die, you will have nothing. You can't take anything with you. Your favorite sweater, you can't bring with you. You don't see a U-Haul following behind a hearse. Because you can't take it with you. That's the truth about finances. That's the truth about stuff. Is that stuff is stuff. And it's only Temporary. Your favorite sweater will only last a little while. A hundred years from now, your sweater won't matter to nothing. It probably won't even exist. (laughs) That's the truth. We don't have anything. You know, Job echoed this same idea in the book of Job chapter 1. We're not going to turn there, but in verse 21. And in this story, this account, this historical account, that Job had just received bad news. And not just some bad news, a lot of bad news. That he was having a good day, everything was going well, and a servant came in and panting, Job, I was out in the field and your sheep and your camels, and I was out there, and the fire of God came down and blew everything up! They're all gone! And another servant comes in just as soon as he gets done. And I got to tell you, all these oxen and all these other things. And these bandits came and they took them all away and they're they're all gone. And then another servant came and gave him some more bad news. That he's lost all of his wealth. He's lost all of his finances. And then another servant came and said, your kids were having a meal together. And a tornado came and claps the house on them and they're all gone. And just a matter of minutes, he found out that he lost all of his livelihood, all of his wealth, all of his children. If you were given bad news like that, would you get up on the corner and throw a fit? Would you throw yourself on the ground and throw a fit, pull your hair out? You know what Job did? He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. I had nothing when I came in, had nothing when I get out. I'm going to tell you something. God's still good and God's still right. How can he say that? He lost everything. Everything is gone. How can he say that? Because his goal was God. It wasn't stuff. It wasn't finances. It was God. And he could trust that God knew what he was doing. Job didn't know what God was doing, but he could trust that God knew what he was doing. That's the truth about finances that you don't own anything. You don't own anything. You, naked you came out. Naked you go, you go back to the earth. But God's still good and God's still right. He's always good and he's always right. In fact, you know the only thing that God ever promised you to have? Notice with me in verse number 8. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. You know the only thing that God promised you to have? was food and clothes. That's it. You know, it's amazing because we live in America, and America is the land of material. It is the land of discontentment. It is the land of commercials. All it takes for someone to be dissatisfied is to watch a Burger King commercial. Flame broiled, two pickles. <coughs> Have, watching that commercial, and all of a sudden you go, hmm. I want a nice flame broiled double cheeseburger please, yeah, oh double Whopper. You start thinking about that, next thing you know, you really want one. You're discontent. You're not happy with the peanut butter and jelly sandwich you got at home. You want a Whopper. You know, we're at a place of discontentment and that's America. And we in America, we think some of us are so poor. But do you know that if your family owns a vehicle, just one vehicle, you are in the top 10% of wealth in all of the world. You are richer than 90% of all of the world. Most people around the world would do anything to be homeless in America. People who are homeless eat better in America than what they do all the rest of the world. And yet we complain about we don't have enough stuff. I need this and I need this. We are the, the antithesis of this passage here because we are people who are not content because our goal isn't God. Our goal is stuff, it is riches. That's the truth. In fact, Jesus himself spoke about it. It is amazing how much finances are brought up. This passage I do want you to turn to. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 12. The gospel record of Luke in chapter number 12. And let's see what Jesus Christ says about this. The gospel record of Luke, chapter number 12. Hold your finger where we're at in 1 Timothy because we're coming right back. And as you're turning there, let me give you the context. Jesus is in the midst of teaching, and all of a sudden this guy comes up and says, Master, you tell my brother to share. We got an inheritance, and my brother won't share. Tell him to share. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 who am I? (laughs) Uh, Who am I to be a judge, a discerner between you two? Uh, Why aren't you taking care of this yourself? And then he turns to the crowd and uses this and says, Hey, you want to see what covetousness looks like? There you go. The reason why they're fighting is because they want stuff. And then he teaches a parable to back up what he was saying. Notice with me in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no more room to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So here's this rich man. And this rich man He's doing well. His crops are doing well so much that he doesn't have enough storage space. So he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down these barns and I'm going to get bigger and better. And I'm going to fill them up. And then as he's looking up there, he says, you know what? I'm doing really good for myself. Look at all my stuff. I could take it easy right now. I could just live high off the hog. I could live off my stuff for a while. And God says, thou fool. He says, guess what? Tonight you're dying, and then who's all this stuff going to belong to? Not you. You know, in America, we have one of the greatest messages taught on a daily basis, especially here in the Green Bay area during the summer. It's called garage sales. You know what a garage sale says? That at one time someone said, I have to have this thing. I need this stuff. And then later on, they pulled it from their attic and said, you know what, I'm going to go sell this for a quarter. The stuff that they needed from the store that they just had to have, one day they're going to sell it for a fraction of the price. But at one time, that thing was so important for them to get, right? And we live in a place where our barns, our attics, our garages are full of stuff that we don't use the height of materialism, that we just needed more stuff. And one day, your stuff is going to go somewhere else. Whether someone else picks it up, whether someone else throws it away, whether you give it away, whether you throw it away, your stuff won't belong to you forever. As much as you love that cup, you saw that cup sitting on the shelf. This is my cup. I have to have this cup. I carry you this cup and I sleep with the cup. And I, when I die, I want to be buried with the cup. Well, you can't use that cup to drink when you're dead. It's not going to do you any good. Your stuff does you no good. And Jesus says someone who lives for stuff, someone who's made a goal of stuff isn't going to be rich for heaven because you have to choose who you're going to serve. Are you going to live for this life or for eternity? Are you going to make riches your goal, stuff your goal, or make God your goal? And that's the truth about riches is that we got, we had nothing when we came in. When you die, nothing's going with you. It's all God's in the first place. It's just stuff that's not going to last. It will not last a thousand years. It will not last after Jesus Christ comes back. Your stuff won't last. Which brings us to a second thing. We start with the truth about riches. Then we come to the idea of the temptation of riches. The temptation of riches. Notice with me in verse number 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many, many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The problem with riches is that it switches our goal. Our goal should be God, it should be about him. It begins with God. It ends with God. God should be our goal. But when we are absorbed with riches, having riches, do you know, by the way, this applies that even if you don't have riches, you could still desire riches, that you could be poor and want money. It could be the thing that's always on your mind. I need more money. I need more things. I I need more money to take care of this. And if your mind is always on money, it's not going to be on God. And if your mind's not on God, then your mind is going to be make something else the goal. You see, this is the whole thing here. What is your goal? What is your purpose? What do you give your life for? You will give your life to something. You'll either give your life to God or you'll give your life to something else. The goal should be God. Notice if you don't mind in verse number nine, but they that will be rich fall into temptation. You know what the temptation is? If If finances are your goal, then you're tempted to do things to achieve your goal. And some of those things aren't necessarily the right thing to do. Well, you know, <coughs> I know that I should be in church, but My goal is money, so I'm going to do something extra, beyond. (laughs) You know, people start to look for other things. Well, I know I should read my Bible, but I got to do this. And they start to take shortcuts. They go into temptations to reach their goal that aren't necessarily pleasing to the Lord. But they that will be rich will fall into temptation and a snare. This idea of a snare is something that grabs a hold of you. It's like a trap and the idea of making riches your goal will put you into a trap that you will have a hard time getting out of notice as it goes on and into many notice that word many you almost want to circle that into many foolish and hurtful lust when people have the goal of riches it will lead them to many not just a few but many foolish and hurtful lust. The word lust here comes to desires that in order to have riches in order to have riches as the goal, they'll end up doing many foolish things, many things that will hurt others so that they could get their own goal accomplished. The word foolish carries the idea of not giving attention to God. So these are the type of things that will drown men. Have you ever felt like you were sinking under in finances and felt like you were going under for the last time? It just felt like it was overwhelming and drowning you that when you wake up, you think about finances. When you go to sleep, you think about finances. It's on your mind all the time. Well, that's not a way to live and that's not how God intended for us to live. God wants us to have the goal for him, to be able to trust him. And that when our mind is not on the Lord and it's on finances and how am I going to get finances to take care of this? And I need to take care of this and I need to take care of this and I need to watch after this and I need to do this. It leads people to drown in the situation and that drowning leads to desperation. That desperation leads to destruction. The word destruction carries the idea of ruin. Do you know that you could ruin your life by making finances the goal? You could ruin and make people miserable around you. You could make it where everything around you is falling apart. The word perdition here carries the idea of the loss of well-being. That it says it will drown men in destruction and perdition. The loss of well-being. That someone could be so focused on finances, whether they have finances or they don't have finances. Somebody could be so focused on the finances that they don't have that they lose their own well-being. Do you know if you make uh, finances, riches your goal? You could actually destroy your own health and destroy your own relationships Because your mind has that as the goal instead of God. And you're not satisfied and you're not happy. And even the things that you have, you can't enjoy because you're looking at other things that you don't have and other things that you feel that need to be taken care of. And this is not a good place. We understand we talked about the truth about riches. The truth about riches is that you had nothing when you came. Came in and you'll take nothing with you when you go out. It's all God's in the first place. The temptation of riches is that when riches are our goal, it takes our goal away from God. And then what happens is that there's consequences of following after that goal. Things and situations, things that we do that hurt ourselves and end up ruining us, ended up losing this well-being in our lives. Which brings us to the third thing I want to show you, the result of riches, the results of riches. Notice with me in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covenant after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Notice this in verse 10. This is a truth we have to understand. It is not money that is the root of evil. Many people misquote that. Money is not evil. Money is amoral. It's neither moral or amoral. It's a necessary thing. You have to have money. We don't live in a society where you could survive without money. You have to have it. You have to pay bills. It has to be there. It is not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money. It is making money the goal. What is your goal? If your goal is finances, it's riches, it's to have more, that is the root of all evil. How many things have been done in our world because someone wanted something that wasn't theirs to have? Because they were not satisfied with what they had. How many miserable people do we have today that's at home right now trying to count their change to see if they have enough to get a Burger King Whopper. And when they fall a little bit short, they're very disappointed. How come I can't have this Burger King Whopper? And we know that there's a lot bigger things than Burger King Whoppers. But people are miserable because they think about all the stuff they don't have. And they're not satisfied. They're not happy. They're not content. They don't have the peace that God wants them to have. For the love of money is the root of all evil, while, which while some have coveted after, they have erred the faith. So here it is. As some have made money the goal, finances the goal, what has happened is that they erred, they made a mistake from the faith, from following after God that when it came time, which was more important in their life, God or finances? They chose finances. They chose money. They chose stuff over God. And that stuff possessed them. There's nothing wrong with owning stuff, by the way. We're trying to make that clear. Having money is not wrong. Having stuff is not wrong. It's when stuff has you. It's when the stuff rules your life. It's when the goal of money rules your life. That's when things mess up. That's when things fall apart. Some people say, well, how come I can't win the lottery? Mostly because you can't be trusted with money. You know what happens when you got a lot of money? You want more. What am I going to do with this money? And then you end up using your money that you have, and you waste it, and you don't use it for the Lord, and it's all gone. It wasn't used wisely at all. (laughs) And that's why most of us can't be trusted with money, to be honest, because it will ruin us. I know of a church once that someone gave them a million dollars, and the pastor announced to the church, hey... Someone gave us a million dollars. We don't need you to give anymore. That's fine. Our finances are taken care of. Don't worry about giving. And you know what happened to that church? It died. Why? Because people no longer exercised faith. They no longer had to depend on God as they were obedient to God for God to take care of the things around the church. And a church without faith is a church without power. And they died. The finances ruined them. Because they no longer had to trust God for their daily bread. They no longer had to trust God to meet their bills. They no longer had to trust God to keep the lights on. We wonder why some of the most powerful churches in the world are small and struggle with finances because God needs them to keep trusting in him and exercising faith. God knows how to use finances to get our attention back to him. He's done that to me, and I'm sure he's done that to you. He's done that in the Old Testament over and over. He, If, if he wants to get someone's attention, he messes with the old pocketbook. And next thing you know, God, I need you. God, I need you. And he says, that's fine. It's what I wanted the whole time was for you to finally look at me and say, I need you. God's good at doing that. But someone who has their heart and their fi- their, their desire, their goal on finances, it says... <coughs> That they err from the faith. But notice this. They pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Think of that picture. They pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know, you can't have both goals. You can't have God as your goal. And at the same time, finance is your goal. You have to pick one or the other. And if you pick finances as your goal, you pick riches, the love of money as your as. The covetous, the desire to have money as your goal. The Bible says you pierce yourself through with many sorrows. That's not a happy life. It doesn't sound like a happy life at all. But you know what the Bible says? It brings us to the last thing here. The goal is God. This is the last thing I want to show you here. The goal is God. Notice with me back in verse 6. But godliness, this godliness has the idea in our term here to make God your goal. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The word contentment carries the idea of peace. Do you know that you can learn to be satisfied with what God has given to you? knowing that God knows what's best for you, to know that God will give you what he knows you can handle dealing with finances. He could trust you. He'll give you what you need when you need it. Now, we live in America. God blesses us above and beyond what we can think or ask. We have so much. And God wants us to learn to be satisfied with him. Now, by the way, being rich is not unbiblical. There was many rich people in the Bible that God blessed. Job, Abraham. Why could they be rich? Because they were content with whatever God gave them. Finances wasn't a big deal. But God also knew they would use the finances wisely for him. They were laying up treasure for eternity, not for here. It's not a crime to be rich. In fact, later on in 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy is going to be instructed, Hey, you tell all those rich people... To lay up treasure for them up in heaven. To Use their finances wisely. It's not illegal to be rich. But for us, some of us it would be nice for us to try it for once. I know we don't have millionaires in here. And I doubt if we have thousandaires in here. But we have a good God. Who loves us so very much. And he's able to provide for us and care for us. For us, it's not if God is going to take care of us. It's if we're going to be satisfied with what God does give to us. Can you be satisfied? Can you be content and allow God to choose what is best for us? Let him choose the house that you have, the car that you have. Allow him to provide and be thankful for what you have. If you got the old clunker and you're thankful for it, guess what? God can trust you with something else. Can you be satisfied with the things that God provides for you. Can you be content? Now I understand this is where we all hit because I'm an American just like you are and I'm not content with the same bologna sandwich every day. And that's my problem, not your problem. I'm just being transparent that I have the same issues you do. I see that burger, I want Burger King now. You, know, you think about the, <laughs> the things, you watch commercials and you start to be not satisfied. That is something we all fight, but we have to go back. What is your goal? Is God your goal, or is stuff your goal? Is God your goal, or is finances, riches your goal? You can't have both goals. You have to choose one or the other. Maybe there's someone in here that has never purposely went to God and said, God. You are what I'm living for. God, I'm choosing you that I'm going to follow after you and whatever you give me, I'll be satisfied with. If you've never done that, let me tell you, that's where you start. That God's not going to be your goal until you make a decision to make him your goal. You're not going to accidentally follow God. It is always going to be done with a purposeful, intentional act. You're going to have to come to the place of dying to self and say, no, you can't have that greasy hamburger. No! And deny yourself and say, I'm going to be satisfied with a bologna sandwich that God gave me. And Your flesh will rebel. But then you say, no, thank you, Lord, for this bologna sandwich. I'm so thankful that you provided it for me. You know, it's the idea, are you thankful No wonder the Bible says over and over, it gives this idea that we're supposed to be thankful for all things. You know, the very first step for walking away from God is not being thankful. Are you thankful? Can you be thankful for what you have in your fridge and you don't have the opportunity to go to the store with what you have at the moment? Can you be thankful for... You know, we didn't have the Burger King sandwich. We had two slices of white bread and then a hamburger patty that seemed like a little ball and some cheese. Can you be satisfied with that? I know I'm talking about food, but I'm trying to make it relatable. Can you be satisfied? Can you be thankful? Can you still be thankful for what you have? Can you be thankful for that uh, thread-worn shirt that you have that you still wear and you say, I need another one, but I got to wait for God to provide it? and not coveted after? Can I wait? Can I enjoy my, my rusted through car that I could see the road going by as I'm driving through it? Can I, be, can I be thankful for what I have until God chooses to provide me with something else? Can you be thankful? Are you a thankful person? That is part of being content, is being thankful. And again, that doesn't come on accident It is a purposeful decision you make that you're going to be thankful for what you have and trust God to provide you everything that you need. Now, this includes being wise with finances. We understand there's a lot of other peripheral things, but we're just talking about the goal right now. What is your goal? Godliness with contentment, the Bible says, is great gain.